there, fellow arbitration nerds. This is the Arbitration Station, but it's not any other episode of the Arbitration Station. It's a bonus episode. We've advertised uh, in earlier episodes that we've been trying to get the voice of investment arbitration reporter Luke Peterson on for an interview, and we succeeded, which made us so happy that we thought, why not do a separate special episode with him? Sadia and I, Joel, called him up to talk about iReporter, the history and contributions that iReporter has made. There's also a special reason we're talking to Luke right now, and that's because iReporter is currently looking for one or more persons to join their team of freelance contributors. I know this is something that many of our listeners might be interested in, and Luke explains more in this interview about what kind of profile they're looking for. But among other things, you are expected as a potential candidate to write a summary of the Champion Trading versus Egypt case in the style of IA Reporter. Deadline for applying is Friday 11th of December, so hurry up. We will post a link in this episode's show notes as well as on Twitter, and Luke also explains in the interview how to find the call on the iReporter website and what they are looking for specifically, because it's not everyone with an interest in arbitration who will be able to work for iReporter. Enjoy this bonus episode and talk to you next week when we're back on normal schedule again with, among other things, an interview with an experienced court reporter, David Castan, and a discussion on the new LCIA and ICC rules. Ciao! Luke, Eric Peterson on the line. So nice to have you here. How does it feel to be on the other end of an interview? <laughs> always awkward, always awkward, and to be avoided wherever possible. Do you like to hide behind your posts? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I just, I just don't enjoy um, talking about about myself. You know, uh, to to be to be frank. Um, but I am very happy to talk about, you know, what we've accomplished and kind of what we're doing with iReporter. Because I'm very proud of that and proud of the people we've got working with us and and also, you know, those who did work with us for a long time, like. Joel, and it's also a pleasure to talk to you guys because it is a source of, um, you know, uh, pride that we're sponsoring the podcast and have done so for a while. I mean, I enjoy listening to it. I know that a lot of people enjoy uh, enjoy it very much. So, so this uh, this interview is a pleasure. Thank you for for that, and thank you for for sponsoring us. That's been mm-hmm. tremendously helpful, as our researchers can testify to as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we've of course, mention your name, I think, on every episode since you started sponsoring us, and most people in the field will be familiar with iReporter anyway, but mm-hmm. what is sort of the, the backstory? I don't think everyone knows for how long you've been doing this, yeah. and at what point you started to involve other people. Yeah, well, iReporter started about 12 years ago, um, and prior to that, I had actually been um, working on sort of a you know, kind of a looser iteration of, of iReporter under a different name. And um, so I guess it kind of goes back almost 20 years now. I mean, I got interested in investment arbitration around the time that and this would have been, I guess, the late 1990s or turn of the century, around the time that um, claims under NAFTA, 
started to emerge, investor state claims. And at that time, there was a lot of uh, mainstream media attention, particularly in Canada, where I'm from, to these uh, international arbitrations that were brought under NAFTA. Um, they were not something that was uh, widely understood or kind of really you know, broadly anticipated by, by the public or by politicians uh, in Canada. But shortly after the NAFTA came into force, we started being... Um, started seeing Canada sued by, by U.S. companies and, and some of the earliest cases either dealt with large sums of money or, you know, relatively sensitive issues like uh, gasoline regulation, environmental regulation, or ostensibly environmental regulation. And so I was uh, in graduate school around this time, aspiring journalist, and this phenomenon that was going on, uh, which was being kind of covered in the mainstream media, was quite interesting to me because it was a seeming uh, architecture of, you know, international tribunals that um, individuals could bring claims to under international law. And it was um, something that just caught my interest. And so I sort of as a uh, bit of a sideline or kind of um, hobby started following um the debate about about the NAFTA and, and also around that time, the OECD was talking about negotiating a multilateral agreement on investment. And, you know, in Canada, we had parliamentary inquiries and uh, in, in some other countries as well about this. I remember taking a keen interest in those actually sitting down and reading some of the testimony and, you know, some of, some of it um, was by people who are still active in the field today, like uh, Barry Appleton, Canadian litigator, who brought some of the early NAFTA cases. And I guess to make a long story short, you know, one of the things that really caught my interest in that debate was the repeated assertion that this, uh, the NAFTA and the proposed MAI were nothing new that there were in fact at that time already 2000 bilateral investment treaties, the vast majority of which allowed investors to bring claims against states. And so I thought, huh, okay, so are investors actually using those treaties? Because there really didn't seem to be any uh, discussion of that in the debate uh, that was going on at that time. And so I kind of took that up as a bit of an investigative interest of my own and started looking into the various mechanisms through which investors could claim under those treaties and began um, just phoning up people at ICSID at that time and, and, and at Uncitral. And uh, I remember um, calling up a legal officer uh, in Vienna, you know, in the late 1990s and just kind of quizzing him about whether or not the, the Uncitral rules were in fact being used uh, in this uh, manner in which they supposedly could be used uh, to bring BIT claims. And slowly began to kind of piece together um, some information about some of the earliest cases, which were in fact going on a little bit under the radar. And when I left graduate school, I joined a, a think tank in Geneva, which had an interest in uh, and worked on a variety of international policy issues. And they give me some space and resources to create a, um, which was essentially a precursor to I Reporter, which was a, an email listserv where we um, distributed and exchanged information about uh, investment treaties and uses of investment treaties and the debate about investment treaties, you know, um, 
And over time, that listserv kind of evolved more and more into a vehicle for original reporting that I was doing um, by calling up lawyers, institutions, people in the field, companies, government officials, et cetera, and just digging up uh, information about ongoing cases and developments that were not being reported or kind of documented anywhere. And after a few years of working with that think tank, I eventually went out on my own and set up by reporters, kind of a fully independent um, news, news service focused on investor state claims. And by that time, it had quite a following uh, for the earlier listserv where we had quite a, quite a broad audience, you know, people within the community. Uh, and it was a growing community. And as you know, you know, during the earlier part of this, uh, this century, you know, the, field investment treaty arbitration really took off. And so um, by the time I started iReporter, we had uh, quite a quite a large number of law firms, government officials, academics, uh, et cetera, who were kind of uh, following our work and followed us through to the launch of iReporter. And from there, it snowballed pretty quickly. I know the, the amount of reporting and the just the sheer amount of texts written has sort of been corresponding to the yeah. amount of cases mm -hmm. dropping in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I pine for the old days because it, it, it was a lot, I mean, it was a lot of fun to kind of just go digging for claims. And these were always claims that were at a more preliminary phase. So you didn't have to do the heavy lifting of reading arbitral awards and you know final awards and decisions and the like constantly because a lot of the cases were not uh, you know at that mature uh, phase and so now you know the, the, the amount of work that goes into producing iReporter is is vastly more than it was a dozen years ago because a dozen years ago I could just write these short little stories that you know so and so had launched a claim against you know uh, some some country and then we'd kind of monitor it but now you know so many uh, cases kind of have reached the award phase, the annulment decision phase, you know, and also there's just this vast jurisprudence that's built up. So every time you write about a case, you kind of have to situate it within that context. And so it's become, you know, as, as the field has become ever more technical and specialized, so too has our, uh, our, our reporting on it. Yeah, I was going to say, but you have uh, more access to information probably now than you ever used to before. Yeah, there is a lot of, um, there's, there's a fair amount of transparency now, which means that, especially around things like um, pleadings and, you know, procedural orders, things that, you know, 10 years ago, 10 plus years ago, it was, it was not so common to see as many of those um, in circulation. And, you know, and when we have access to, you know, the record of an ongoing case, I mean, we sort of view it as our, our duty to kind of reckon with it and kind of wade through those materials as well. So there's just, um, I, th I think, a greater proportion of cases which are arbitrated in, in a somewhat transparent manner, uh, you know, put, putting their record as, as they unfold into the public domain. And then more and more of the, the you know, the cases, uh, you know, when they reach an award, the awards are also public. So, so yeah, there's just a lot more to, to reckon with in terms of documents. Mm -hmm. I know this firsthand from having worked for you, and I don't think the people in general in the field appreciate necessarily how much work goes into not just the investigative side, which obviously most people do not see, but also the 
award analysis yeah. and, and how much yeah. time you have to spend on any one average arbitral award to both understand it and then process it and turn out a product well, at the end that is understandable. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's right. I mean, we really take it as our duty um, to our readers to read everything upon which we purport to report. So, you know, that means that we're taking eight to 10 hours, you know, to read and sort of synthesize an, an average award. I mean, if something's uh, extremely long or dense or complex, it can take vastly more time than that. But it is, um, or rather, it's, it's never a straightforward thing to just sit down and, you know, write about the um, final award in a case because we're not just relying on what other people tell us uh, happened in that case. I mean, we're verifying it for ourselves. And, and in that respect, I think we're, you know, doing something quite, quite unique kind of in terms of journalism where it's really quite um, uh, specialized and kind of technical in, in its own right. I mean, um, I think people in the field, hopefully, uh, you know, my, my perception is that they do in large measure kind of view um, what we're doing as, as, you know, a very reliable kind of um, first draft summary of, what's transpired in a case that if you don't have time yourself to read the award, then you can, you know, rely on our uh, reporting of it to give you kind of all, all the high points and, and the key key word there being that you can rely, you know, upon us because we you know, generally know what we're talking about. Yeah. I was going to say it's so much more than just reporting. It's, it's the, the, the word I a reporter, maybe you should think about changing at some point because yeah. your work yeah. has changed so much over time. And I was going to ask yeah. you, actually, I'm mm -hmm. sure you must have seen um, references to you, your articles in some awards. Mm -hmm. Has it happened? Occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's nice to see as well. Um, you know, and I think that our re reporting is, you know, often cited, in, certainly in academic um, context, you know, and, and uh, academic literature and, and, and um, in, 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 you know, every time that happens, I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that's a, kind of a, a little source of pride for us, you know, I think that people um, kind of just view what, what we're doing as kind of um, reliable and, and somewhat authoritative. What are some of your favorite greatest hits from Irish order <laughs> career? Greatest hits? I don't know. I mean, maybe you um, you have some as well. But um, I I I, th I think that um, I mean, you know, it's it's a matter of personal taste. But I mean, I'm a journalist um, by by background, or I guess by kind of vocation. You know, I didn't go to journalism school, but it's really how I kind of view myself and kind of how I see the world. And um, so I guess I, I, I'm always more excited about the investigative side of what we do, uh, where we are routinely trying to uncover um, cases and developments and legal developments and policy developments to some extent that are sort of subsurface, you know, because a, a lot of what we write about and cover uh, you know, notwithstanding this this trend of greater transparency that we talked about a bit earlier, where you know where more and more the cases are are, are kind of open, nevertheless, there's still a lot of stuff that's not. And 
you know, a, a lot of cases get uh, initiated and arbitrated and sometimes fully arbitrated without um, proactive disclosure of them by the parties. And so it's always fun to kind of pick away at those and try and um, bring into the light, you know, claims or developments against states that are particularly opaque, you know, whether it's Russia or, you know, Poland or Libya. I mean, you know, you, you feel bad kind of naming one or the other state because of once you start doing it, you realize there are dozens and dozens of states that are still very opaque when it comes to this stuff. Some of them even stand up, you know, in international forums like Trial and bang on about the importance of transparency. But yet, you know, in their handling of these cases, they're not always uh, <laughs> acting with a lot of candor. So, you know, there, there's a, there are a lot of rocks to look under and we kind of really enjoy, enjoy doing that. I mean, uh, you know, I guess to take an example, you know, a few years ago, I started looking into... Um, potential claims against Libya, you know, as a result of, you know, the unfortunate events that have been happening there, um, you know, post-revolution where the country kind of falls into civil war and, it, you know, and it's been um, quite an unstable mess for, for a number of years now. And you'd kind of see a lot of uh, mainstream news stories about just the difficult investment envi environment in that country for foreign investors. And wasn't a lot of kind of sense of whether anybody was kind of seeking recourse, you know, that they might have under investment treaties. And so I spent a lot of time digging into Libya and more than a year, in fact. And finally, you know, we wrote a long piece, which I think laid out information about somewhere, you know, somewhere around a dozen claims that had been uh, put in motion by different investors from different countries and which were all being, you know, arbitrated under Onsetral or ad hoc or ICC auspices, and which were kind of at varying stages. But it was really quite a um, eye-opening exercise, just in terms of the sheer amount of stuff that was going on just under the surface, and which we managed to kind of pull up into the light. So that's a great example. Yeah, I, I, I talk about that sometimes, and emphasizing the the difference between known investment cases and the total number of investment cases. That if the known amount of cases against Libya can go from two to 15 over the course of a year, thanks to reporting, presumably there are a lot of unknown cases out there as well. So we should be a bit careful with saying there have been X amount of investment disputes because the number is largely higher, most likely. So, you know, I'm just thinking if one party leaks information to IU reporter and that was mm -hmm. the object of, you know, a dispute before an arbitral tribunal for breach of confidentiality. Hmm. if that yeah. has happened or not because you know i imagine you have access to a lot of information that is that is not public or not supposed to be public but you just get access to it yeah i mean the nice thing about being a journalist is you're not um bound by you know confidentiality kind of orders and undertakings that parties to these cases, you know, like to sometimes I, th I think like to kind of, um, you know, ha have in place. I mean, they'll often people may tell you like, oh, I'd love to tell you, you know, about this, but you know, there's a confidentiality order, you know, and then maybe five years later, you actually see the confidentiality order and you realize it was just requested by the parties, you know, mm -hmm. and so it wasn't this thing where it was, um, uh, imposed from above necessarily. But the nice thing about being a journalist is you're not, um, constrained by those generally. So, um, yeah, you kind of have a lot of latitude to write about whatever it is that you can uh, learn. Mm -hmm. It's not just you, though, Luke. There are uh, more people, of course, working for iReporter, and that's the reason we're yeah. talking to you now. You're looking for even more people, but 
Who, who is the ideal IA reporter, just in general? The ideal so, contributor. So you were a great one. You worked with us for a number of years. You came to us like when you're, were you doing a master's degree? You hadn't started your PhD, right? I just started. I think they overlapped. I was like a few months into my PhD program when I started working. Okay. So you just, just had started. Yeah. Um, your profile, you know, was that you were working as a PhD student, had a lot of flexibility. You had um, prior experience of practice. In your case, you'd actually worked at an arbitral institution as well. So you had some kind of uh, hands-on kind of experience of arbitration cases. And obviously, you know, certain amount of bringing a certain amount of technical knowledge and expertise, you know, to the position, uh, you know, when you started working for, for us. Um, what we're typically looking for are people who are either um, those who have practiced, but are for whatever reason, you know, wanting to kind of take a break from practice, you know, a longer term break. I mean, we're not looking for people who just want to go on sabbatical for six months or a year, um, but people who maybe just don't like practicing or, you know, kind of just for, for work-life balance, kind of want to move away from that. Or people who are um, doing some sort of long-term course of study, whether it's PhD or maybe at the postdoctoral stage or kind of, uh, you know, junior academic um, because we're looking, uh, both, both for kind of, you know, some kind of expert knowledge, but also, um, knowing that for the, you know, at least the immediate, uh, future, they're not likely to kind of go out and start practicing in this area again and, and, you know, for create a lot of conflicts for us and also just become unavailable. So, um, we have put out a call for contributors. We do that usually every year, um, the deadline for the contributor competition this year is December 11th. You can find information about that on our, on our website. If you just search for the word contributor, you'll pull up the, the announcement, which was published a couple weeks ago. And um, yeah, I guess one or two other things to say about that. I mean, we, um, we've been very lucky, you know, through that process, the contributor competition process. I mean, we've had people, uh, like Lisa Balmer, who's our managing editor now, who came to us a few years ago through that process and just started working with us, uh, you know, on a casual freelance basis. And over time, just took on an ever greater role in our work. Same with Damien Charlotin, who's worked with us for almost four years now and had come to us through the contributor competition uh, at a time when he was working on his PhD at Cambridge, which he's actually just finished up now, which we're... Um, very happy for him about that. And uh, Vladislav Janik, who also came to us through the contributor uh, competition program, is working, still working with us and kind of just finishing up his PhD, which he's been working at for um, three or four years now at the University of Amsterdam. So, um, yeah, we're, we're hopeful that we'll see um, the next great IR reporter contributor come to us through that channel. Um, the, uh, of course, the other old, old person in the room is, Jared Hepburn, who's been working with me, you know, for almost 10 years now and who had come to us even before we did contributor competitions. He and I met like 10 years ago uh, at Bickle at an event and when he was uh, working on his uh, master's in Oxford and then he kind of went through the whole PhD postdoc and now uh, professor um, uh, position in, in Melbourne. Um, so... I don't know what else I could tell you about the, uh, the the competition. Is there anything particular that I should mention about it, Joel? Um, 
I think since we were butting heads repeatedly when I was working for you about this uh, no no hmm. practice thing, maybe you can explain because <laughs> I know I, I have personally already uh, been in contact with several people who are interested in yeah. applying, but but everyone is asking. So what is this about, and how strict is it? And I, th- I think you have good reasons for wanting to maintain yeah. uh, arm's length distance from from practice. So maybe you can be a bit yeah you know, nip this in the bud yeah. and explain why and how. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it might be more useful just to kind of lay down kind of a red line and, you know, rather than kind of get into too much of a, you know, debate about, you know, the wisdom of doing it. But I mean, basically, we don't want people who are uh, practicing or advising on investment uh, cases uh, while they're, you know, planning to contribute to iReporter. And so for that reason, it's, it's also not uh, a good use of our time and resources or the contributors time to take on people who are just, you know, maybe taking a summer off from practicing, but, you know, they're graduating from some course, but they're planning to go get a law firm job in six months. I mean, that that's not really going to work out well for, for either party because there's a little bit of uh, kind of training involved, you know, in uh, bringing new people into the team and kind of, you know, getting them kind of working uh, in, in our style. So generally, we're looking for people who really are, at least for a couple of years, um, committed to not practicing or advising uh, in, in the field of investor state arbitration. Um, if you're working somewhere else as a lawyer and it's flexible work and it doesn't present any kind of conflicts with um, in, in investor state arbitration, in principle, you know, we, we can look at that. But if you're, um, you know, working full time in some, you know, national level law firm, you know, just working on other types of matters, probably your schedule is so busy anyways, that you're not going to be able to um, work well with us, because a lot of the time we're uh, looking for contributors to take up assignments on short notice, you know, things happen, um, you know, developments come, a new decision comes out or some case that we want to chase. Um, you know, and we, and we need to start doing that today, you know, so we're always kind of asking uh, the team, you know, who, who has time to kind of look into this today, or, you know, can you write something about this for tomorrow morning? So um, juggling another full-time job, you know, even if it doesn't present, you know, kind of subject matter conflicts would still um, probably not be ideal. So would the ideal candidate be what someone like Joel, of course, uh, like uh, working or Demia working on a, on their PhD, you think, or doing a... It, 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 it tends to be, Sadia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's it just because, you know, your, your schedule is flexible mm-hmm. and you know what you're going to be doing for, well, in theory for three years, you know, four years, and then in practice more like, you know, five or six. So, you know, it's kind of ideal um, for us. But, um, you know, having said that, you know, Lisa, who's kind of coordinating all of our coverage now, you know, she did her PhD uh, before coming to us, and she had um, worked at, at a large uh, law firm, the arbitration group, for a few years, and was um, instead, you know, at the point when she came to us, you know, she was primarily teaching and doing research uh, in Texas, where she was living at that time, and had started to raise a family. And so that worked out very well, too. I mean, you know, it doesn't need to be someone who's um, working as a PhD student. Yeah. I can wholeheartedly endorse iReporter as a as an employer. It's an amazing <laughs> team of eccentric smart people. 
<laughs> I have a request for you, Luke, and Please. I don't know if 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 yeah. you if it will make sense, but okay. I would love to see a book with your best pieces, and I a reporter. It would read like a history book, to be honest. I'm sure, and also you've got so many amazing contributors that are still there and they're gone, you know, yeah. doing other yeah. stuff. I think it would be really good. Um, and I would, I would definitely get that book. I would love it if you edited that. Sadia, I would love it if you put that book together. I mean, I think that's a great idea. Personally. I'm not creating work for myself. I'm just asking you to produce something for me. Oh. <laughs> I, I second yeah. that, actually. That's an amazing idea. So you should yeah. crowdfund it, both the, the time and the, and the money involved in producing it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not, 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 not a terrible idea. Not a terrible idea. I, um, I, you know, we've um, from time to time, you know, I mean, the, the, the tiniest step, you know, in that direction, I think we've taken in some years where we've tried to just reflect back on the events of the recent year, you know, and kind of done like a, a review, you know, and tried to just sort of distill or kind of, you know, kind of, um, synthesize what's happened over the course of a year even that was quite a, quite an undertaking you know because we produce i think currently about you know 600 reports a year you know um and so it's um no small feat just to kind of mm -hmm. go through I those and try to figure out what to yeah go ahead i really i really like your roundups and your summaries or when you go back to a case that you've already spoken about and then you put it in light with you know a new case that has arisen on the same topic so this is, you know, one of the things I'd love to see in a, in a book. I'm yeah. giving you a project for 2021. Uh, <laughs> it, you know, it's great. It's great to hear kind of user kind of perspectives, you know, on what they like and don't, and, and don't like or would like to see, because we really actually, it's funny, it's a little bit of a, um, a, a lonely kind of enterprise in the sense that, you know, we're, we're a team who kind of work on it, but you're just constantly publishing things that generally, you know, are not interactive in nature. You know, they're consumed, you know that they're consumed and read widely, they're cited, but there's not a lot of kind of reader talk back or feedback, you know? I mean, occasionally, yes, you get angry emails, you know, you get kind of, you know, I write phone calls occasionally, you know, those are not the, the kind of feedback, you know, you're most excited to get, but, you know, um, those are few and far between. And, and apart from that, you just tend not to get a lot of, um, Kind of feedback in general so it's it's interesting to hear you know that you there's appetite for a book because we, we we sometimes wonder if we're just kind of pushing too much content out there into the world and people are struggling to kind of you know kind of wade through what's already being produced more, more feedback invited you're an approachable guy so try to fly under the radar luke but uh, your email address is on the web page maybe you'll get more feedback yeah. after this so this is where we thank you, I think, for, yeah. for taking yes. time out of a busy schedule to join us for this little special episode. We'll link to the, to the competition, I think, uh, in our episode notes. And as you say, it should be easy to find on iReporter.com as well, right? Yeah, yeah. I think we'll actually bump the, um, the contributor competition ad up to the, the top of the headlines um, in the coming days, just so it kind of sits more visibly on the homepage as well, um, because it just kind of gets buried as new, new things are, are published. Um, try and make that accessible, but you can find it by searching, uh, just search for the word contributor in, in our search, search bar. And it, the first article that will come up will be the advertisement from a few weeks ago. Yeah. So hopefully we'll um, get some applicants. I know we have a lot of, um, a lot of your listeners who, you know, might fit the profile 
and, you know, are vaguely aware of us, maybe um, through our sponsorship of the podcast, or maybe they are, you know, kind of, uh, you know, reading our work and um, look forward to hopefully hearing from some of them. And thanks. Thanks for taking the time to, to talk today. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. This, this was great. Cheers. And good luck. Take care.